I'm Liz Testa, and this is Lavish Hope, stories of resilience and overcoming. In these final two episodes of season two, I'm so honored and delighted to be in conversation with not one, but two leaders, Reverend Phil Ossing and Reverend Dwayne Jackson, who were just elected president and vice president at the Reformed Church in America's General Synod meeting, our denomination's first in-person gathering in 28 months. We met at a conference center perfectly located in the shadow of the Catalina Mountains in Tucson, Arizona. And it was a blessed spot to meet safely in and also feel God's presence so clearly. The RCA has been going through some pretty significant challenges, yet we left this meeting feeling hopeful. I wanted to get together with these newly elected leaders to get their insights and perspectives on cultivating hope, resilience, and overcoming, both personally and corporately. What resulted was a conversation full of optimism and encouragement. Not pie in the sky, but real, authentic, leaning on God kind of optimism, with lots of practical takeaways for you, the listeners. And what made it even more interesting is that these two come from totally different contexts and backgrounds, one from the orchards of the Pacific Northwest, the other from the streets of New York City, both called to love and serve God's people using their strategic and relational giftings. I can't wait for you to listen in. What do you recommend or do you prefer or utilize for cultivating hope in the midst of challenge and anxiety? This question makes me nervous. No, just kidding. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I think, and uh, this is probably speaking way past my my obedience level, right? So uh, forgive me if anybody wants to, to parse what life looks like compared to what the words are like on this one, but... I do. I found I, a few notes kind of came to my mind in thinking about this question, Liz. And one is, I think, trying to slow down uh, and and not worrying about uh, not getting somebody else's agenda. You know, uh, your your lack of planning does not uh, control my calendar necessarily, right? Type thing. Um, to just take time to write. You know, it, it's the old adage. Sometimes you need to write a letter to somebody and then tear it up and throw it away, and then write the letter you need to write to them. Uh, I think for me, writing is is a, a kind of a way of processing things. I I I again I mentioned being more extroverted. I think the counsel of other people, talking to other people, uh, listening to the spirit. When Dwayne, when you were talking about you know God just kind of showing up sometimes, we're kind of on a journey, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, to me, that's a part of dealing with anxiety. It's just where is God showing up? Don't don't forget God is with me in the journey here, right? God God's still walking alongside. And, and then um, something that's been really helpful for me in the last uh, 28 months, but who's counting being vice president forever um, was just was intentionally contacting people who don't share my perspective and just building a relationship with people who don't see things my way. So I think it helps me to be more respectful um, and more sensitive. And I, I think when I try to articulate my kind of feelings or convictions, hopefully they, they have a more, a well-rounded and global perspective to them that, you know, I can say literally in a meeting that I know I have friends who don't see it this way, but here's how I see it. And mm-hmm. and you kind of acknowledge that there's another opinion in the room that, that may have some value to it. And, and I think you acknowledge other people. And then the last one I'd say on this that may seem a little bit crazy, but um, I think just acknowledging that we're broken and messed up 
is is a way to help let go of anxiety. If you know, if I'm not feeling well, but if I'm in a for, forgive the stereotype, Liz, but if I'm in typical male posture that I don't feel bad enough to go see a doctor yet, right? I'm just limping around the house, moaning, groaning, and making everybody else's life miserable. Uh, there's very little chance of getting over that. There's finding a cure for the disease. Yes. It's when I acknowledge that there's a brokenness that I need help. And, and so I think one of the ways that we can, can get past this anxiety is simply naming uh, and being very specific and saying that this doesn't work and this isn't working. And if, if we don't just name it and say, well, we're willing to address it, uh, that then there's, you know, again, it's kind of like going to the doctor and daring him to find where my body hurts. When he says, uh, you know, what, what's not working to say, well, doc, you've got all those instruments and tests and stuff. You figure it out. You know, that's your problem, not mine. That doesn't work. Not well, anyway. So I think owning some of our brokenness is a chance to have a dialogue about where we need healing and, and we need help. And then their hope can come out of that broken dialogue, not out of a posture of I've got it all figured out and what's wrong with you. Yeah. That's really good. It's that I love that. And I'm like thinking like you're acknowledging your humanity that you need help. And then you can move to healing. So humanity help healing. If people remember the three H's, they'll got a, they've got a process. That's great, Phil. Yeah, I like that. Um, I definitely agree with entering to entering everything with prayer. Um, being willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say, even if you don't agree with it. And then the thing that I've learned. And this is kind of one of my little personal pet peeves is I don't like when people try to fix me. And so if we can learn to communicate with each other, listen to each other, but not try to fix each other, we can go a long way. And everybody has an opinion on how it should be done. But, you know, I go back to that phrase, there's my way, there's your way, and there's God's way. And so let's all yield to God's way and see where God leads and guides us instead of me coming in with my preset agenda answers or whatever. And I think that also will help us to get to where we need to be. If I could piggyback on Dwayne's comment about being fixed, right? People want to fix you. Um, I, I think that there's a huge insight to that, Dwayne, for all of us. Uh, that if, if we can, and, and the way it, the negative side of that to me, the way it spins out is the reason things are such a mess is because what you're doing. If everybody would do it my way, there wouldn't be any mess. And so we blame all the problems on somebody else and then we refuse to own it. And if we don't own our part, I mean, the, it's a relationship, right? It is, it's not a singular focus. There's multiple voices. And if I can't own my part of the brokenness, even if you want to go down, uh, and it, I, I, this could get me in trouble to say it this way, but even if I have a 1% part of the brokenness, right? If that's my part, if I don't own that 1%, we won't be whole. And, and so we all need to own that. So I love that line. Uh, you know, we, we got to quit trying to fix other people. It, it's not going to fix the denomination trying to fix other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that whole piece, right? That like we're supposed to like to, to be advice givers mm -hmm. and to be... Um, yeah, fixers. So just to pull back off of that and have that posture of just learning alongside each other and seeking God's God's guidance, I think. It's Somewhere beautiful. I heard somebody say that we should be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I read that someplace in one of them books, <laughs> like the Bible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> 
Good stuff. So um, thinking about some of the big picture pieces of our denomination's vision for the future, one of them is a multicultural, multiracial future freed from racism. And that's um, really become even more important. Um, a few years ago, we brought in our first general secretary of color, Reverend Eddie Aleman, uh, and um, we're really looking to lean into this vision even more so now as new church plants are coming in that are from the global south uh, and also just as we're starting to really embrace and create a hospitable space for all of our different um, different multicultural multi-ethnic uh, folks to come in and um, and have a place at the table and and serve together so wondering you know from your perspectives what are you, where are you seeing hope regarding this vision for a multicultural and multiracial future freed from racism? Yeah, a, a couple things kind of pop out to me. And, and the, the, the fun part to me is, is this picture predates some of the cultural conversations gone on. But uh, in January of 2020, J.P., uh, our global mission director, again, to try to put personalities and names in place, uh, orchestrated, organized a uh, Mission uh, 2020 Fest down in Florida. And there was uh, one of the most beautiful uh, pictures of looking at our leaders sitting on the platform together. So you had Felix Dionagraha from Western Seminary, Micah McCurry from New Brunswick Seminary, Eddie Alamon from the RCA, Jill Verstig, uh, J.P. Uh, Sundarara Jajan. I got to get J.P.'s name. I keep practicing that one. Um, but you've got this whole, and there they sit on the platform. These are the people that we we look up to that are leading the key roles in our denomination. And there they sit. And and so there's in front of us. It's it's in one simple snapshot. Is this is this picture of that diversity being <clears throat> actually real? Uh, and I think to me the importance of that is that that hasn't made it all the way down to all the different places. And I recognize that, especially as a white male, uh, I have some important work to do to help kind of create space and create invitation to the table. Cause it's not enough just to say that, wow, it's great that we've got a general secretary who's a, you know, you know, is a, a, a person of color, but that we are actively creating space at the table. So we don't just have them show up at our meetings we have them making decisions. We have them included in uh, in what's happening in the life of the church. And we start listening that the way we've done it, you know, our historical culture of doing business may not be the future. And we need to, we need to listen to that and allow them to speak into that in some way. Um, and so I, you know, to me, and uh, you guys have both been a part of the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, radical reconciliation prayer gatherings on Tuesdays um, that God has kind of teed us up for to, to get his work deeper within us in some way. And I think that's a, a wonderful and exciting thing. And so the, the, while maybe some of the people in the culture are wringing their hands, thinking the world's falling apart and all these cities are you know going to hell in a handbasket that here we sit saying, you know, God's prepared us literally for such a time as this, isn't it? So let's, Let's be the church. Let's let's do it well. And what better place, what better time, what better way than seeking to be reconciled and working together side by side with mutual respect and admiration and appreciation for the people God's made us that are different than we are, but here we are working together. And so 
I feel like we've been given uh, a great opportunity, uh, you know, historically and uh, personally, just again, in the relational dimension. Here it is, relationships again, right? God's building a new form of relationship for us. And to build on that, um, one of the things that's giving me hope that we're moving in a good direction, even though we still have a long journey ahead of us, yeah. is the simple fact that um, people of color have been having these conversations for as long as okay. I can remember. We are now finally having conversations with those who are on the other side of the spectrum. And that's the part that gives me hope that not only are we hearing each other, but we're being heard and they're willing to take it beyond just simply, well, let's placate those people of color and um, and see if we can just keep them pacified. But no, action is being taken. And some of the things that I've been enjoying is that a lot of the people who have, for example, um, married into multiracial scenarios are bold about it now. And they mm. celebrate it. Whereas once upon a time, you had to hide those relationships. Mm. And so it's little, little baby steps, but we're on our way. And who knows, it may not uh, come to full fruition in our lifetime, but there's hope. And so for me, watching things change, watching how we're being more intentional about including people of color and women in positions of authority at the table, not just to simply say, well, we have a person of color in the room, so we're officially multiracial, multicultural, but they have no say unless they assimilate. And so watching our denomination begin to start to pull away from the assimilation model and work more towards a let's just work together as children of God with everybody at the table, equally represented, equally heard. For me, that's where I see those little baby steps are taking us in that direction. And I'm hoping that it'll continue to gain momentum as time goes on. It's so hopeful, isn't it? And I love what both of you are saying and the way that they connect. Um, because as you know, as you're, you both named um, during the course of this conversation, Phil, in Asink is a Dutch name, but you know, like, but you're like you're part of like the the Dutch dominant culture of uh, you know historically of this denomination, and then Dwayne is so intriguing because as an African American, one could say there's a marginalization there, but then at the same time, Dwayne is a son of the RCA, so you were born into this denomination, right, Dwayne? Yes. So so it's it's kind of like claiming right that almost birthright, it is a birthright, um, but that we are in this process um, of becoming, of it actually starting to everybody coming into that vision of Revelation 7 and 9, where all of us are coming together. And that really does, I mean, it, it has required um, this shift, this transformation that you're both alluding to. And for myself, like I'm a more recent arrival into the Reformed Church in America. And I heard right away, like, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And I was like, well, uh -oh. I'm surely not Dutch. <laughs> What's going <laughs> to happen? And then, you know, there's also the conversation around women in the church. And so here I was, right, Latin Mediterranean girl from the East Coast. What was I doing um, in the Reformed Church in America? Would I be welcomed here? And I did find welcome. I did. I, I I truly, and I knew it was where the Holy Spirit was sending me and that there, I, you know, the purpose God had for me would be revealed in due time. And I'm really grateful that that has been revealed um, and to be serving alongside 
you too and so many others, right? It's really a joy as you were praying um, before we started the podcast uh, interview, Dwayne, you were talking about the joy and the hope that we feel. And so that's, that truly is that that's truly where I'm at. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking too about this work that, that I've been engaged in and that um, it's called equity-based hospitality. And so we've got the ethnic racial piece. We've got uh, the next generation, right? Our younger, welcoming in the younger folks and then also um, disability concerns and then women uh, are all part of this equity-based hospitality. So when we're talking about drawing the circle wide as you're talking about this vision for the multiracial, multicultural future, I think all of that has to be factored in, all of welcoming in all different kinds of people from those groups. And so um, just to kind of tease out a little bit more particularity around where um, where you're seeing the opportunities for women in the church, um, we'd love to hear more about that, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, well, uh, it's no secret that on the Northeast coast of our denomination, Per capita, I think we have now more female pastors in our racial ethnic churches than we do male pastors that are um, leading our congregations. And even in the church where I grew up in, um, in Mount Haven Reformed Church in the Bronx, there was never a shortage of women in leadership. Um, I We had women on the consistory as elders and deacons before I realized that it was a conversation that was being had to make it official in our denomination. And so for me, when I heard that, I didn't realize that that wasn't a thing. And so watching that energy sort of propagate its way across the denomination, I think that's where I'm, I'm hopeful that I, we can see that happening. And um, serving on the Commission for Women for the last, oh my goodness, almost six years now, um, I have seen some strides, for example, in taking out the conscience clause which gave um, males the ability to uh, step away when women were being ordained as ministers of word and sacrament and um, causing them to not get ordained and things like that. And so I see their voices being heard um, for calls for things like um, inclusive language or um, or. Um, things that would just simply be non-male slanted um, as the majority way of expressing has been questioned and challenged, not only by women, by men as well, who are advocating for them. And so for me, that's where I see uh, women gaining momentum as well and the movement of becoming um, major players and voices and uh, I guess an appearance of persons in our denomination as well. It sounded kind of clumsy, but I hope I said it well. <laughs> we know exactly what you meant. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I, I hope we end up going forward, but I'm just going to start by naming what I've seen. Uh, disappointing to me, Liz, is that I think women have uh, suffered some in this debate that's raging the RCA, and they've been kind of lumped in as a part of the problem and not... Uh, relish for their giftedness and so I, I i'm saddened when i when i hear people kind of doubling down um uh, and saying yeah we've got this problem with human sexuality and we have this problem with women that that's that's very disheartening to me and again if i can kind of borrow the story a little bit of a story to kind of put it in context and you've had a privilege to meet this person so you know a little bit of it 
But my mom is probably one of the best elders I've ever met, never known. And even at 89 now, she's still elding in a very uh, informal but very important way. Um, recently introduced uh, a new pastor to her church and was there when she said, you just call me if you need anything because I'm here for you, right? And you you realize the role that women have played. And uh, so, again, just what I said when we talked about the question on, on racial reconciliation, I think some of us men who are at the table need to be advocates and creating space and 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 welcoming chairs. Um, and, uh, you know, you and I have talked enough, Liz, know that it's not, it's not, we're not going to make marches and, you know, and, and those sort of things. That's not what, what the, where the hope is, right? It's in recognizing the giftedness. It's lifting up those gifts. And, uh, you know, just uh, uh, w- one story recently that happened that just, kind of drove it home to me is there was a, a, a mom in my office telling me that her daughter uh, felt the call of God and had to choose between medicine and missions or ministry. And she chose medicine because it didn't seem like there was much opportunity in ministry to go that way. And she says, I don't want my granddaughter to have to make that choice. And so, uh, you know, that, again, we've been talking about journey, right? You've been talking about listening to the Holy Spirit. When you hear stories like that, to me, it just kind of reaffirms that this this is an important issue for for folks, an important area where, um, as historically, the the primary leaders, uh, a a Dutch white male, uh, that that it's important to set the table and welcome people. And so where, where do I get hope for it, though? is, uh, and and I, I don't know if this, if everyone will appreciate this as much as I kind of enjoy it, but um, coming back to the mission theme is that uh, women have played a huge role uh, in missions in the Reformed Church. And if you if you sit down and have people tell me a story about RCA missions, you won't be very, very long before they'll tell you the story about a woman who served mm-hmm. selflessly and sacrificially, uh, you know, somewhere else. And I've kind of, the, the, maybe James Brum can correct me historically on this one and give me the, the historical point on it. But I have come to say just kind of a little bit tongue in cheek, but with an edge to it, that the reason why global missions is so good is we send our brightest and best overseas as women. And then, you know, they they did amazing things. And we said, oh, this is kind of cool, uh, but but do it over there. And so my hope is that by looking at the way God has blessed that work, the way God has used women in ministry, women who never said, I want to make a statement about my gender, but simply said, I've been called and I can't not follow the call, that those stories will help shape our future and that we will be able to embrace the giftedness of all of those that God calls to ministry. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, it, that maybe doesn't have the most upbeat tone to it, but I, I think that that. In our story, there's this thread of God pulling us into this and having a different vision of what it could be like. And I'm hopeful that our own story is what will be influential in us listening to the Spirit, kind of leading working people's lives, specifically specifically women's lives. Well, Phil, of course, I'm so grateful to hear you say that. And I know that um, there's many of our listeners that will be really grateful that our president of General Synod is saying this (laughs) on record. So thank you for that, saying it publicly. And, you know, what it really reminds me of is, um, you know, we've been going through a very divisive season in our, in society and in the church. And it's this concept of either or, 
right? And so for we as people of faith, we often see that as, you know, that's like uh, the work of the, of the enemy or the hinderer um, that seeks to divide and conquer, that seeks to separate us, that seeks to divide us. Because when we're in relationship, when we're stronger, right, especially mm-hmm. as followers of Jesus, we're able to live more into the call of the gospel when we're united, right? Not when we're separated. But historically, the way that, you know, the best way to keep people from kind of uniting around something is to divide them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's whether it's with women, racial, ethnic, that's, you know, racial, you know, that's, 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 um, that's kind of like a modus operandi of, of just to foster division. So the thing that's really important, certainly in the work that I'm engaged in, and you know this to be true because we work together, is we want to build God's church together. Mm-hmm. We want for brothers and sisters to be able to, to bring the gifts that God has, has planted in, in them individually and collectively to be able to come together to build and bless the body for mission in the world. And one of the things that we've talked about often is how ironic it is that, you know, women are, are you know, have to go overseas to be able to live into the, their calling. And then they come back to the States and they've sort of been barred from being able to do the things that over in the mission field, quote unquote, was, you know, absolutely desperately needed. Some of our most important missions, I'm thinking of Dr. Ida Scudder started because the men couldn't offer health care to women in that culture. So they needed the women to be fully equipped as medical doctors and nurses to be able to help save lives. And so, you know, that trans- translates, you know, for us spiritually as well, for women to be able to teach um, freely and fully in all the ways that they are called to do, to teach and preach and share the gospel and the good news with all God's children. So I'm, I, I am, I'm really, um, encouraged to hear you say that. And I, I do wonder how, like, what are the opportunities then mm-hmm. for women here? How do, you know, I, I appreciate you saying, talking about creating the space, but how do we encourage that without it seeming like we're trying to have some sort of takeover? Because that is, that is the concern that I hear in the work that I do is, you know, well, what about the men? Because the men will leave, you know, they say, oh, the men are going to, the women come in the front door, the men are going to leave out the back door. Mm-hmm. So... Just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, that I mean that's that's tough. Uh, to, I mean that's that's kind of past my uh, <laughs> expertise in terms of how all those dynamics work. But I I think we have to just trust that if we embrace the gifts that God has given the people God has given us, that there will be a sense of community and unity and appreciation that we can all celebrate, and that uh, I guess I'm. Um, uh, and at risk of uh, alienating more than a couple of my uh, male uh, colleagues, possibly, if we can just not be anxious uh, and just uh, just let the gifts do the speaking, uh, and don't um, it, don't don't be anxious about controlling exactly what happens and where it goes, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's. And and again, to, to not put it on a timeline, if we say we have to do a certain amount of integration by, you know, 2022, then everybody gets all uptight about it. Uh, but by the same token, I don't want, I don't want uh, to happen to women what I think, and Dwayne, you, you, I've heard this kind of coming through, not from you necessarily, but in our, our Tuesday gatherings, is where 
we say, well, don't, don't rush, you know, give us time is simply a way of putting people off and not listening to them and not respecting them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that it's attention. We, we just live with attention. If we don't name it, then how, you know, that so I guess I, I'll just, Liz, I'm just going to trust that naming it and being able to talk about it will help us deal with it more effectively than, than saying, well, you know, in his time, God will work it out, but I'm not going to be a part of that time. That's where I think the tension comes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll build on that just a little bit. It is going to be a, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. It is. Because I look at how when opportunities were opened up for people of color and white people would just simply walk away from it and say, well, you want it, it's yours. We experienced that in a lot of our churches here on the East Coast when we had a a white pastor in a predominantly white congregation, when it shifted to becoming a black pastor in a predominantly um, black African-American congregation, all of the support that came along with the white pastor ended abruptly. And we were left to flounder saying, "Okay, well, fine, you got it. Now do it on your own. Um, I anticipate that as women move into positions of leadership and power, et cetera, that they'll probably experience a similar type of abandonment where they're going to have to rely on others who would support them. And but thankfully, it wasn't all or nothing. There were still others who supported us. And I hope and pray that when women are in those positions, that they will find males that will come around them and encourage them and support them in the same way and not in a paternalistic way, but in a equal partnership type of way. To me, this is we're overriding the either or we're going for both and Mm -hmm. right. And so it's even when you can name that, you know, it's like, we want to look at what, you know, learn from the past. So we can name that we've seen in different spaces where this has happened in the past, where one group, you know, kind of there's a shifting and it's not done in a holistic manner in a hospitable manner. It's seen as like, it's gotta be one or the other. It can't be, you know, this kind of sense of balance, right? And that's a godly balance. We're looking to get back to God's original intention for humankind, right? Mm-hmm. To co- co-labor, to be to be partners. So I think the more we can be leaning into that, the better. And I do see an earnest desire for that. I mean, certainly from the two of you. And I know, Phil, you know, you gave me a wonderful invitation to come out to the Pacific Northwest and, and to, um, to do some ministry out there. And I know that's your heart. So... I'm encouraged. I, where I'm finding hope today, if I may add in my own two cents, is that I think with the two of you leading with, I mean, we've got Phil's mother, right? Elder Anna. And then we've got Dwayne's wife, Pastor Anna. <laughs> and it's kind of, you know, women that are you've been journeying with for a long time, right? So that gives me hope right there. You know, that it's it's not just kind of a theoretical speaking that you're both saying, but you actually have experience Um with women in leadership and they happen to be related to you, right? They're, they're connected into your family, but also that they are officers in the church. And mm-hmm. so, um, or live into offices in the church. And I think that's really a beautiful vision of what's possible. So I've got great hope around that. And I think we just have to be intentional to keep saying, this is both and not either or, mm-hmm. because I think that we have to name that for people. Like you named that. And I think that's really important to say like, you know, there's plenty of good room in the good Lord's table, as the gospel yeah. song says. It's not that you have to leave in order for others to have a space. You just have to maybe scooch over a little and make room. So, which means we have to be, you know, 
the relationship has to be there because you're going to be a yeah. little yeah a little closer yeah mm. and i love to phil you name this thing of community unity and appreciation mm. and that to me just summed it up so beautifully of that's really what it is. It's about community, unity, and appreciation. There is that sense of celebration around that. And I think I think that's a good word for folks to hear as, you know, that's that's what we're looking to do here, right? Which is a little different than we hear from society sometimes. So grateful for that. Beautiful. Well, gentlemen, as we're coming to the end of our time together, um, just wondering uh, if you can share a bit about like in this coming season, what will it look like? For you as the pres and VP of our General Synod to lead with resilience and hope. Um, also wondering if you have a favorite verse or quote that will be inspiring you as you embrace, embrace hope and being resilient in this season, how will you be guided? So you can choose any or all of that to speak on. I'll risk... Uh... Uh, speaking collectively here, despite the fact that Dwayne and I have only been in, in this current administration for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but but we've started off by talking with each other, and I, I believe we're really committed to a healthy relationship between the president and the vice president as a way to model for the denomination, uh, two people who are way different. And and Dwayne kind of threw down the gauntlet, and I'm, I'm going to take up the challenge. He, he, he told me that he's the most optimistic person I'll ever meet, and by the time we're done, I want him to believe that I'm the most optimistic person he'll ever meet. So, so <laughs> I so love it. There, there, there is a contest. I, I'm thinking we're going to have maybe a, maybe we should do a little fundraiser thing at General Synod. We have two two coin bowls, Dwayne. Uh-huh. And whoever you think's most optimistic, put a dollar in that in that in that uh, in that thing, and we'll we'll see who gets voted most <laughs> optimistic by people's dollars. But. Uh, I love it. For global mission, right? You're raising money for global mission. I I, I want the kingdom to have more dollars because we we believe it can happen. But, you know, and Dwayne's kind of alluded to a little bit, even kind of his upbringing. But if if you want to take just for a minute, uh, can you imagine uh, God's sense of, of, you know, what might happen or what could happen to take a boy who grew up on the streets of the Bronx and put him next to a boy who grew up in the orchards of Moxie City, Washington. Dwayne, my hometown had a population of 586. Wow. Okay. That's it. Almost the same as New York City, not quite. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and now we're supposed to work together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, can, uh, you know, I, Dwayne and I, th- I think I'll, I'll call Dwayne out here because I want to I prove his optimism. But we'll mm-hmm. we'll commit here on this podcast, Liz, first time publicly, that we we will be uh, in conversation with each other, agreeing, disagreeing, but living and walking together in a way that that hopefully uh, gives people an example for the whole denomination uh, to kind of work through. And I that's a you know that's uh, that's not in keeping with our Dutch humility to say something like that quite so brazenly. But if we don't, who will? Um, right. And and if you just take the logistics of New York City to Moxie City, how can you not think that God expects that of us? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that what will it look like, Liz? I think it'll look like this orchard boy hanging from a ladder walking next to a guy who grew up on a subway. And I'm going to try to figure out how you get a ladder on a subway. And he's going to try to figure out how you pick apples, you know, from a moving train. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have some fun with it, I think, along the way. Uh, and uh, then, you know, uh, 
I, I think too, I mean, when you ask about what scripture kind of guides or what it is, I mean, I just, I just love the way God uh, sort of drops scriptures into my life in things that at times there's seasons where a verse or a message may come through just in it with even, you know, more strength and, and verver than other times, or the same verse that comforted you in your sorrow becomes the challenge in your in your time of need, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that God God takes the same verse and, and he uses it in in a stereophonic way in our lives. He doesn't just come across, you know, monolithically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, there's there's so many that come to mind, but I'll, I'll piggyback on one that I commented on back in 2019 for the VP election. It's just the word you um, and how our uh, Western culture has so often read that as a singular word, and it's so much often biblically a plural word, right? So uh, take simply the words from Jeremiah that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's Jeremiah says you all. He doesn't say you, Phil, or you, Dwayne. He says you all got to do it together. And uh, he's not looking, God's not looking for any one of us to be the savior of the RCA. He's saying y'all got to figure this thing out together. Uh, you're all in this, and you know it. You read through Paul's letters, and it's it's you plural to the max almost every time. He doesn't write to individuals and say you you've got to figure it out for the whole church. He says you all got to figure this thing out. You're in this thing, so you better figure it out. Uh, and uh, that that's the challenge and the hope at the same time, isn't it? It's the frustration and the hope at the same time. Uh, so, um, and so I, I think that's that's. I mean, there's so many uh, different images and verses and stuff that kind of pops to mind, but that one just keeps coming back to me, the kind of the, the you part of how do we, how do we, we collectively have got to discern that we, we can't expect Eddie to fix it. You know, we can't expect uh, Phil or Dwayne to fix it. Uh, we have to say together, we've got to figure out a way that, that God can speak to us and, and listen collectively and act collectively in, in the process. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's going to take it to some unexpected, unintended places along the way. I, I said to people going into the city, I don't think there's any recommendation that was made on the floor of, that was made in the workbook of city that was going to come out of city the same way it went in. And I think that's true that almost every motion or recommendation got amended or changed or tweaked or twisted some way. And I don't think any of us know what the RCA is going to look like in God's final form yet. Nobody's got that clear picture. And so if if we can't trust that God will speak to us, reveal to us, then that, that's a whole other issue we've got to deal with. So I, I think the you all is God hasn't given us the answer yet. Uh, so y'all listen up together so we, I can speak to you, please. That actually works for me, Phil. Um, <laughs> one, I will accept your challenge. Um, I wonder if we can turn Dream this into a, a TikTok challenge where everybody <laughs> is out mystic everybody. <laughs> <laughs> What a wonderful world it would be. Yes, it would. Uh, I'll lead in with the scripture that's been following me for the last couple of weeks. It comes from the Gospel of John 15. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just two verses in it that have really informed where I think um, we can put some uh, the rubber to the road when it comes to what Phil was saying. And in that John 15 verse... um, Verse nine, John, I mean, John 15, chapter verse nine says, as the father has loved me, so I love you. And then I scoot down to um, verse 12, where we get our marching orders. My command is this, 
love each other as I have loved you. And I think that if we can use that as our umbrella or our, our guiding steps or the way that we approach everything, all the hard conversations, all the difficult decisions to know that we're doing this not because I'm going to gain or I want to win and you're going to lose, but because I love you in a genuine way that God loved me. I think that we can accomplish so much. And if we can move forward with that as our, our guiding source to know that we're, we serve God because God loved us, not because we chose him, but he, but, you know, he chose us. We didn't choose God. And so it's, it's that that keeps me excited and motivated and going to know that we can do this. And I may not like what you say. I may not agree with you. But the fact that I love you so much as a brother or a sister in Christ will keep me from storming out of the room and taking my toys and walking out. But that I will continue to go forward with you until we figure this thing out. And so that's where I, I'd like to see us go. And so that's where my optimism sort of comes in and it grows and it gets renewed every day, knowing that um, God's got more for both of us, for all of us. Just piggyback a little bit more on, you know, even just the reality of people who are saying, I just can't stay any longer. Um, I believe that people who, who linger at the table, even if they feel there may be a need to leave, their lives will be touched from mm-hmm. the conversation out, on their way out the door. Yeah. And for people who choose, who feel the urgency that if, if, if it's not now, you know, it could be trouble. I think, I think they're going to miss something that God would like to speak. And I, I don't have any illusion that we're going to keep everybody in the family. Uh, there's going to be some people who are, are packing. Let's, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'm absolutely convinced that the, the conversation we have at the table will enrich all of our lives and we'll all be better for it. And mm-hmm. if you leave, you may miss the very words that you need to hear somehow if you leave too soon. So I just want to affirm what I hear you saying that, that don't, don't, don't pack and run. Uh, this is a time to lean in uh, as a season of, of listening and leaning in. And I know mm-hmm. people are saying, well, we've been kicking the can down the road for too long. Don't want to do that anymore. Um, I, I don't, I don't see it as being, uh, a season of of just kind of placating the conversation and, and enduring more, you know, more kicking. Mm-hmm. I, I think it really isn't a season of more discernment and decision and direction. And so I, I just want to affirm what I hear you saying: don't don't take your stuff and run. Lean in with us. Just if if you just stay long enough to to hear us and listen and learn, and then you leave, we we can bless you on your way. Um, but uh, we would hope that maybe staying and lingering and, and listening, you might find room in a way to, to stay connected. And yeah, comes back to relationship, doesn't it? It does. It does. And the last part about the optimism piece yeah. is that if by chance somebody hastily runs away, the door is always open. Come Amen. Back. Amen. Back. Yep. You know, I just I'm 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 so excited to hear you all say this, of course, um, with my heart of hospitality. But also it really plays back to what you were both mentioning as places of, of you know, like where do you cultivate hope and anxiety? I'm just looking at my quick little notes that I'd written down and you talked about slowing down, about you know, being in community with other people, seeking wise counsel that way, grounding it all in prayer. I mean, these are all like these are best practices for how to actually stay the course in these seasons. And then as you were actually talking about 
how you became vice presidents, right? Mm-hmm. Phil back when and and Dwayne just now, it was engaging in that process. Mm-hmm. So we know, I mean, you kind of have proven proven success, right? That this, that this is that that there's fruit from this type of um thoughtfulness and not trying to rush and kind of allowing God to do the work. And that's part of letting go of the anxiety, right? Letting go and letting God sort of carry it um, for us. And I think that, again, as has been noted, that that's not a Western idea. Uh, The Western idea is we've got to make it on our own, right? We've got to be in charge. We've got to make our own destiny. And that we know theologically there's a lot of uh, problems. You know, it's problematic, that whole notion of that uh, concept. And, um, And so I'm very hopeful hearing what both of you are talking about in terms of your vision for how you're going to lead and um, and for your hopes for all of us, for the you, the plural you, um, which, you know, I'm a Spanish speaker, so we have two, we have two forms, right? The formal right. and the informal in different countries use different versions, but it's both ustedes and yeah. vosotros or both. Sí. So it's like we 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 needed more than just one plural form to remind ourselves. Uh, so, well, fellas, it's been so great to have you here. Thank you so much, Reverends Phil and Dwayne. Um, thank you for accepting the call to lead, uh, and for um, just so thoughtfully and energetically and optimistically sharing um, your reflections on General Synod and on your leadership and on our future in the RCA. And we know, right, that's part of that Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12 that you referenced, Phil, is that there's a future with hope um, for us as we travel together. So we believe that and we claim that. So know you're being cheered on and championed and prayed for by many, many people, including myself. So thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate your words of wisdom and this energized conversation. Thank you Excellent. for having me. Thank you, I, Phil. I, I, I think our administration is gaining strength, Dwayne. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, who knows? We may be the first vice president and president of General Synod with cheerleaders. Hey, there we go. There we go. You'll have a whole entourage everywhere you go. Everywhere uh, you go. It's beautiful. Great. Thanks, well, thanks Liz. again for being here. See everybody. Goodbye. Have a great Bye. rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode has brought you one step closer to considering what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming mean for you and your own life and calling. This is one of our two final episodes of Lavish Hope Season 2. We are eagerly awaiting to launch Season 3 in the early new year. We'll take off until then, but there is a bonus episode coming for you that coincides beautifully with the season of Advent leading up to Christmas. Our dear friend and gifted writer, April Feet, has published a devotional, The Sacred Pulse. She will join us here in early December. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and reshare any place you are on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. This Lavish Hope podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker. 
sound design by Garrett Steyer, and web support by Grace Reuter and Barb Ellis. <laughs>